Romans 1 verse 24, Paul says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only those who do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And Father, we humbly look to you and to the assistance of your Holy Spirit to give us understanding, to hear what your word and your voice would speak to each one of us this morning, individually and collectively as a congregation. We ask you to give us an ear to hear what your spirit would say to this part of your church and that you would prepare us to be receptive that, Lord, you'd give us an expectant heart that believes that you have something to say through your living and active word and that you would use the truth to set us free from wrong ideas and wrong thoughts, wrong attitudes, wrong heart conditions. We thank you for giving us the truth of your word. We pray it would give light to our lives and be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And, Lord, we ask that your spirit now would speak to us and that you would bless your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Have you ever had that experience before where you are observing someone who is using something in a way that it is not intended to be used? Perhaps as a wife, you've watched your husband do this with a tool before, and as they're using something in a way, clearly it's not really intended to be used. There's almost kind of that cringing feeling because you can almost see the disastrous consequence that is right there on the horizon as the result of using something in a way outside of the original purpose for which it was intended. Listen, when we use something, anything for that matter, properly, as the result of that, it's going to run best or it's going to protect it from breakdown. But whenever we violate the rules, whenever we uh, go against the proper usage of something, problems are inevitable as the consequence. That's always going to happen. And our text this morning shows us in the same way that when people reject their creator, when people refuse God, as we see in this passage of Romans 1, and they reject God's law and God's design and God's order, there will be moral and spiritual consequences. Now remember we said last week the background really of Romans chapter 1 all the way three to chapter Romans 3 verse 19 is the Holy Spirit prompting Paul as he's writing to seek to reveal the guilt of all of humanity universally. In this first chapter he talks a lot about the unrighteous. You can tell by the, the verses that we're looking at this morning. But don't get too excited because then he'll spend chapter 2 saying look even for those of you who are self-righteous. 
and think that you're moral or religious. He's going to say, ultimately, you are just as guilty because you still fall short of the standard of the righteousness and the holiness of God's perfection. And the Bible here wants to indicate that each person is sinful before God, that there's a universal need, that we all fail in thought, word, and deed. We all fail and sin against God, and as a result, we are without excuse, we see in the Bible, that we are all justly under the wrath of God. And as a result, everyone, every soul needs salvation. We need someone to save us from our condition. We need the salvation of Jesus Christ to be forgiven of our sin and to be made right with God. And last time specifically, we learned how God reaches out and has revealed himself adequately and sufficiently to everyone in humanity, showing himself and speaking to humanity. We saw in their conscience the inner testimony of God's voice speaking to this thing that we call conscience inside of every one of us. And God also speaks and shows himself to everyone as well through creation. And that God has given adequate supply so that there is no excuse. He's given adequate revelation of his existence to every soul. The problem, the Bible tells us, is that mankind refuses the testimony of truth that God exists within themselves. And the Bible says what we do is we suppress the truth of God's existence and his standards in our own unrighteousness so that we can continue in unrighteous behavior. We just suppress the very truth that's within us testifying that God is real and we know he's real innately in our conscience. And we hold down that truth so that we don't have to be accountable for it. We refuse and reject his authority and we rebel against it. And as a result of that, we don't glorify God as God, even though we know he's God we don't want to glorify him as God and the direct result of our refusal then leads to a spiral downward morally and spiritually the last few verses we looked at there in verse 21 to 23 talked about that moral repercussion and spiritual spiral down he says verse 21 they became futile in their thoughts their foolish hearts were darkened professing to be fools they be become wise they become fools and they've changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like incorruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So we see here a few things we looked at last time as sort of the results of rejection of God and suppressing the truth that he exists and his standards are what is right. It, it leads to things, as we can see in these verses here, like entering into thought, thoughtless patterns and, and worthless patterns of thinking whereby our perspective is distorted, our reasoning is, is polluted. We become morally and spiritually insensitive. The inner lamp, in a sense, is dimmed and then gradually darkened. And our moral compass within us, that internal lamp, it becomes defective. So we don't reason correctly. We convince ourselves of lies and we have distorted perspectives on things. And then we ultimately engage in senseless idolatry, and self-worship where we make ourselves the very thing that is served and worshipped as our text shows us this morning. Now as we move forward, Paul then says, verse 24 in our text this morning, Therefore, in light of those things, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged, here it is again, notice, the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is ever blessed. So the Bible now begins in verse 24 and 25 to clearly declare to us and show the results and the consequences of rejecting God. Now notice that first word there in verse 24 in our text, that word therefore, very critical. Whenever we see the word therefore, again, it just simply indicates in light of. In other words, it's a way of saying in light of these things or uh, because of what has just been said. And what is the prior section just said? That mankind rejects God, 
that though he reveals himself adequately and, and, and makes himself known to everyone sufficiently, that mankind rejects God, refuses him, and that then causes what? Error in our thought processes. It causes a moral and spiritual insensitivity where our conscience is darkened. It causes self-idolatry. And Paul says, therefore, in light of those things, in light of that reality, because of that, therefore... God gave them up. God gave them over. We'll see as well in our text. God gave them up, it says here, first of all, to uncleanness. Now, you should underline that phrase there, God gave them up. You notice the repetition in our passage of that phrase. We see that phrase, God gave them up two times in verse 24 and then again in verse 26. And then in verse 28, a third time, we read God gave them over. God gave them up, God gave them over. The idea implies God giving to humanity what they want, granting them, reluctantly, understand, but granting them their desire. It's basically God respecting the free will of people, which he created them with, the capacity to choose for themselves. And God honors that. Because God created that by design. Reluctantly, yes, God gives humanity over to what they want. He ultimately grants them their own desire and preference in a form, really, of heavy-hearted grief in discipline. Like a parent who tries to teach their kid to do what is right, intervenes to try and stop them from wrong paths, but then there comes a certain point where with a heavy heart, you, you in a sense just, you ultimately have to let them experience it for themselves. And that's the idea here, is that God reluctantly gives humanity, he gives people what they want, though their ideas and desires are in contradiction to his plans, and thus very detrimental to themselves, God gives up, if you would, that divine struggle to try and keep man from his self-destructive path, and ultimately lets them experience their own desire and their own personal decisions. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6 that God declares, my spirit will not strive with man forever. That there does come a place where God ceases to strive. And, and, and here we see how that unfolds. You could say in a sense that God withdraws his restraining and protective hand and he simply allows consequences to catch up with choices. He withdraws his restraining protective hand and he just ultimately lets consequences catch up to people's wrong choices that they've made. And understand the resulting conditions that we're reading about in our passage this morning in this chapter. The list that we see at the end of the chapter. All of those conditions, they are not what God ever intended for people. It's not what God designed. What it is instead is the unfortunate consequence and the natural result of what takes place when humanity rejects God and worships self. And the Bible is very clear in regards to it. Notice in our text, if you draw your attention with me again back to verse 25, it tells us in our text, therefore God gave them up, and notice first of all with me, in in the lusts of their flesh. We have to look at this first because this is the root problem here. God gave them up in, before we talk about what he gave them up to, he gave them up in the lusts of their flesh. That reveals the root cause of the problem. The lusts of the heart of humanity. That word lust indicates strong desire, intense craving. It's a word that speaks about uh, the strong cravings that come from the sinful hearts within every human creature. That we are fallen. That from the Garden of Eden, we are born sinful by nature. We have no control of that. And our hearts are naturally polluted. The inward part of us is perverse. It's distorted. It's flawed. We are by nature sinful and inclined and magnetically drawn to do what is wrong and to do what is evil. Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's the Bible's definition of the human heart. The Bible tells us in Genesis 6 that every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Again, if I can illustrate, just like from an anatomy standpoint, just like the physical heart, it pumps out blood to the rest of the body. Well, in the same way, the sinful condition 
of our hearts pumps out sinful cravings and sinful passions and strong sinful desires and inclinations to do those things that are wrong in many different various forms. It's an automatic thing and it causes us that sinful heart condition, the lust of our hearts, it causes then the solicitation within us to want to go after and do wrong things. It's there prompting us and compelling us. Those strong cravings and desires, though wrong, demand, like lusting, they demand to be satisfied. And this wrestling takes place. And it's because of humanity's rejection of God that that then led to, notice in our text, that led to God giving them up to uncleanness. God giving them up to uncleanness. The word uncleanness speaks of filthy living. It's a term used in, in the scripture to refer to various forms of sexual misconduct. It's translated and used in places to refer to the degrading of the intended use of one's body. The violation and misuse of the body contrary to God's design, which then leads to, as we see in our verses here, it then leads to as well, unfortunately, verse 24, to people then dishonoring their bodies among themselves. Now, remember, God created this body that we all possess. God created our physical frame with all of its anatomical purposes and functions. God himself isn't approved. God created and designed the sexual experience. God created and designed the sexual drive, just like a thirst drive and a hunger drive. God's created all these things and they all came, please never forget, prior to the fall of humanity. They all came prior to the entrance of sin into the picture of creation which means very simply this that sexual experience is a holy and a wholesome thing by design it was created and given by god as a gift and it's intended by design for both procreation as well as for pleasure for a couple a man and a woman in the marital union according to god's original design it's something that God has given to us. So within the marriage of a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, it is honorable to utilize the body for sexual expression the way that God intended it for us. The problem is the sinful heart condition prompts us to misuse this in dishonorable ways. See, as the result of the fall of humanity and sin entering into the world, people's hearts are polluted. The fountain of all of our passions, every one of us in this room, the fountain of our passions, it's like a polluted well. So because of that, our passions many a time drive us to desire wrongly things that we should not do. They prompt us with cravings and strong desires to exercise our passions in inappropriate ways and in sexual desires that take us outside of God's design for those things. And what happens is lust overtakes logic that then leads to sexual misconduct in many different forms whether it's fornication which is sex outside of the commitment of marriage sleeping and having sexual experience with someone who's not your spouse that you're not married to whether it's adultery another form of sexual misconduct where you have sexual relations with someone who is married to another person or is someone other than the person whom you're married to, as well as homosexuality, which is sexual activity with someone of the same gender. And all these forms of uncleanness lead to dishonoring the body in ways that are inappropriate. And as people satisfy their lusts and dishonor their bodies, they thereby also dishonor God, who gave us our bodies as a vessel to utilize on the earth. So Paul shows us here in our verses what's really happening under the surface. What's the real root issue of this that's causing this to transpire? Well, he tells us in verse 25, particularly it's two things. It's first of all, personal deception. And second of all, it is just simply idolatry, self-worship. First of all, one problem he tells us is personal deception. Look what he says in verse 25. He says, that people have exchanged the truth of God for the lie. 
They've exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Humanity has the truth because God supplied it, but they give up and forsake the truth. They substitute a lie, the lie, for the truth of who God is and what his standards are. They believe and embrace, and notice the language there, take note of it, it says the lie, the lie. They've exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Well, what is the lie? Well, I think you should write in your Bible or notes there, Genesis chapter 3, because it's the lie from the Garden of Eden that came about when man first listened to the voice of the devil who came on the scene, who Jesus said is the father of lies. I think we could fairly say that Satan's lie, the lie to humanity, it's kind of threefold. It basically declares these three things, that God's character can't be trusted, that God's word is not reliable, and you can and should be like God for yourself. Go back and look at Genesis chapter 3 at your own leisure and realize that's exactly what Satan's lie was, that God's character can't be trusted. In essence, Satan was saying to Adam and Eve, he really doesn't have your best interest in mind. God's not really a good God who cares about you. In fact, he's holding back from you. That's what it is. He's just a killjoy. He doesn't really have your best interest. He's just holding back from you what would really be fun and enjoyable, and, and he's holding out on you. Or, in essence, you could say Satan as well was clearly indicating through his words in Genesis 3 that God's word's not reliable. Did God really say in essence, he was communicating, you don't need to live submitted to God and, and what he says in that strict of a way. I mean, it's not that important to obey strictly what God has told you for his instruction. And even if you violate what God says, I mean, it, nothing really bad's going to happen. You don't really think you'll surely die, do you? I mean, if you violate God's word and God's will, you don't really think something will happen that some bad consequence will come into your life. And thirdly, in essence, wasn't Satan communicating? In fact, you should be like God yourself. That's what it is. If you do this, you would get to experience Godhood for yourself. You can be like God. And if you can be like God and be your own God, well, then you can make your own rules of what's good and evil and what you please and what you prefer without any sense of guilt. And this is the lie that many have chosen to live by and believe. They're deceived. They've exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And secondarily, we see another reason is that people also then enter into idolatry of self-worship. Verse 25 says also that they begin to worship and serve the creature, that is oneself, rather than the creator. See, the result of our guilt is that basically, as we said before, we were created to worship. We were created by design to worship and serve God, and everyone worships and serves something. And when a person rejects the intended object of their worship by design, which is God himself, it very quickly degrades into then a person putting themselves on the throne in the place where their creator was intended to be in their life. And as a result, humanity begins to put their own desires and pleasure and the will of the creature over the creator who gave them their very life and should be an authority over them. Humanity becomes guilty of self-worship. We bow down to our own wills. We worship and serve the creature rather than the creator as we were intended to. There's this inversion. And I'll tell you something, gang. This is the main plague in humanity. The issue here, bottom line, it's idolatry, it's self-worship. It's that as human beings, we invert who is the rightful king on the throne. We've dethroned God as the rightful king as our creator, and we've put ourselves in the place of God. And that's why, as we look around culture, it is characterized, humanity, is it not, by self-love and self-glorification and self-promotion and self-fulfillment? That's why we all, apart from the Lord, are marked by self-serving decisions and the effort to gratify self because we have entered into this idolatry of self-worship. This is the plague and this is the problem. So Paul here is going to give to us a prominent example of those two realities, of being personally deceived and being engaged in the idolatry of self-worship. He's going to show us an example, a very prominent fitting example of this, verse 26. He says, for this reason, God gave them up. 
to vile passions. <clears throat> for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Now, on just the very clear surface level, if you were six years old, it is very obvious that the Bible here is directly addressing homosexuality and the practice of homosexuality and lesbianism. And I know, listen, let's be frank, I know it's a very controversial issue in our culture today. There is a lot of confusion in our culture in regards to this. It is a controversial issue in the culture, but listen, it is a very clear issue in God's word. God's made it very evident and spoken plainly in his word as we can see. And let us, as we go into this, again, remember our context. Our context as we follow the flow of the scripture is God has just described <clears throat> mankind's rejection of him. And as a result of their rejection and suppressing the truth of God's existence, they've been given over to what? Their own lusts their own distorted desires of their own hearts. They've been morally darkened and spiritually and mentally confused and therefore they enter into uncleanness and they dishonor their bodies by worshiping and serving themselves in self-idolatry. And the Bible now uses homosexuality as just one prominent example of those very realities, indicating it as one clear example of the sinful practices expressed by all of humanity. And in light of that, let me make a few observations here from our text regarding the practice and what the Bible speaks here of homosexuality. And the first thing simply I would say is this, is that homosexuality is not a new struggle among humanity. Homosexuality is not a new struggle within humanity. It is a struggle that has surfaced and existed in every culture and in most societies all throughout history. The book of Genesis from the earliest days of ancient existence clearly indicate that there was the existence of homosexual practice in Sodom and Gomorrah. In the days of, of the time of the Canaanite people, in the book of Leviticus, homosexuality is addressed clearly in God's law as it was prevalent in the culture. Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20 verse 13 says, If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Do your history research. In the Greek culture, homosexual practice and lifestyles were prominent among the Greeks. It was prolific among the Roman Empire, the time in which Paul is writing our very letter here that we're reading and studying together. Uh, Rome was one of the most decadent and perverse societies in human history. I mean, they were saturated with many forms of immorality and sexual perversion was right up there among the charts. Half of the emperors themselves were professed and practicing homosexuals. Historically, we know that Nero married a young boy for his own homosexual fulfillment. Homosexuality seemed to be permitted in a marital sense in Rome. It's likely why the Holy Spirit addresses this particular sexual sin and misconduct in the book of Romans because it was a very common thing, particularly in that culture and in the days of the Roman Empire. And remember, Rome was a very strong empire. Rome was never conquered militarily. Rome crumbled from within because of its own moral decline. As it cast off restraints of morality, it fell apart as a result. The severe moral decline is what led to it falling apart at the seams. And can I just say to you, look at the scope of our American culture. It is impossible not to see a very similar parallel. It's impossible not to recognize, and history reveals, whenever a person or society rejects God, there is always a following characterization of the abuse of sexual desire and ultimately then the, the practice of abnormal sexual expression as well. So homosexuality is not a new struggle. Secondly, I would say this, that homosexuality from our text clearly here, homosexuality is not natural. 
It's not natural. Again, just look with me with the language of how the scripture says this to us. Look again for emphasis. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful. One translation renders these verses, women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged that which is unnatural. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for one another. Again, very simple. You can take a pencil and just go through and look at and circle some of the words the Bible uses to describe homosexual practice and lifestyle. I mean, look at just some of our words here in our two verses. Words like vile passions. That indicates passions that are morally despicable or disgusting. That word vile passion speaks of perverse and distorted desires, but yet no guilt regarding them. We read terms here like against nature repeatedly, the indication of misuse of the body for how it was created naturally by design. We see the term shameful, which speaks of something indecent or dishonoring that brings disgrace. We see the word error, which speaks of a distortion of a normal practice and a perversion of what's appropriate and proper. These are terms that God uses in his word to try and be very clear, to help people understand without any confusion that homosexuality, like many other things, is sin. It is a struggle of the sinful nature that leads to sinful practice, that God views it as sinful even as he views fornication as sinful and adultery as sinful and many other sins. And regarding the fact that homosexual practice is unnatural, just consider certain things like God's original design. You look at the Garden of Eden and God's original design. He created the woman for the man. God created them, it says, male and female and blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And it says the man and his wife were naked and unashamed. That wasn't shameful. That was something to be unashamed because that was design. That was God's original order. It's interesting when you dig a little deeper to realize as well that Paul here in these very verses does not select the normal terms used for mankind or for man or for woman, but he actually uses in our verses specific Greek terms that are gender words that emphasize male, males with males, females with females. He's trying to push home the point to eliminate confusion of God's perspective that define the terms of one's gender or one's sex by design, that God has created two genders, male and female, with the intention of complementing one another by design, by order, that God has created males with a masculine nature and, 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 and masculine sexual organs, and God has created females with a feminine nature and feminine reproductive organs to complement one another. And in light of that, I can't help but to say, with common sense, observation alone of human anatomy indicates what is natural and what's unnatural. The observation of the human body and its sexual reproductive organs reveals through logical thought. It matches. It fits. When you look at the organs of a man and you look at the organs of a woman, it's an indication it works. Yes, those two parts are intended. That's by design. Just simple logic indicates that. And listen, only a male and female can procreate. The race of humanity would go exist, you know, non-existent if there was not procreation by male and female. And when we say, in the midst of the confusion, as our culture does, that someone is born a homosexual and they have no capability to control that, please understand, when we say that, we are challenging the very nature of God himself. Because God doesn't make mistakes when he creates people. We're challenging the nature of who God is. God would not create someone in a way whereby he condemns them for exactly the way he created them to be. God would not say, this is my standard, so let me act in contradiction to my... God would not do that. We're causing a confusion on a level that is completely illogical. We need to realize it is the fallen sinful nature of humanity. 
Just like every other perverted distortion of sinful passions in all of us, we have wrong desires. And again, the problem is that lust overtakes logic and that results, we read here in what it says in our text, that they then burn, it says, in their lust for one another. Again, it's a progression. Man rejects God and his authority. Man darkens his own heart and mind. It leads to senseless reasoning. People worship and serve themselves. And as a result, they pursue, the Bible says, what's against nature. And they begin to commit what is shameful. Clearly, homosexual behavior and practice is against the design of God. It's contrary and violates God's natural order among gender as he created it. And realize this. Please hear me in this. Because this is where much of the confusion lies. Desire and inclination does not automatically dictate what is right and normal. This is where we overlook this issue. Because of a fallen nature, everybody's desires are tainted. Everybody's well of passion is polluted. And because of that, we have to understand some people will have a tendency towards certain sinful behaviors. It's natural. That's, that's expected. It works itself out differently in all people. But inclination or desire does not mean something's right or acceptable. And just because I have an inclination or a tendency or a desire towards something, uh, that does not then give me the right to indulge that desire. I mean, think this through with me logically. What about people who have an inclination towards adultery? What about people who have an anger issue like myself and have an inclination to want to punch and murder people? What about people who have an inclination towards lying or cheating or substance abuse? Are these acceptable practices? Well, I have such a strong desire for that. I have an inclination, a tendency towards that. I understand that. It's because we all have fallen, polluted hearts. So we have inclinations towards certain things, but we have to understand and we recognize, look, those are wrong desires though. I may have a desire to slug someone, but it doesn't mean that that's a right desire just because I have it. It doesn't mean that just because I have a strong inclination to want to strangle someone, no, that I, I have the right to do it. Well, I've got the inclination. I deserve to exercise it. It's just the way I am. No, we would tell people, that must be rejected. You must realize that's a wrong desire. You have to resist that desire and refrain from that desire, not act upon it. And if you use that basis of reasoning, as many do, that desire indicates acceptable behavior, then I ask you this. How can we then justify with anyone on this planet the desires and inclinations that they have? How can you justifiably then tell someone that it is wrong for them to have sex with a child if they have a desire for it? I can't help it. I'm tempted to be a pedophile. Well, I guess if you have that desire, we better be open-minded about it. You see, you must have free everybody from every prison in the entire country because they had a desire and they acted upon it, but we say, no, but that desire was wrong. You shouldn't have acted upon it. You can't use that basis of reasoning. It creates a moral dark pit and a slippery slope of immorality and thirdly, let me simply say this before we move on. Our text also shows us in verse 27 that homosexuality is not a happy or a healthy lifestyle or practice. Do you see what it says at the end of verse 27? It says, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Receiving themselves the penalty of the error which was due. Paul speaks of how homosexuality carries within it when practiced a self-inflicting punishment that it is destructive to oneself. It is detrimental. And it, it, like many forms of sin, has a self-destructive result. The Bible teaches that sexual sin is damaging in general to oneself. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And see, because homosexuality is then contrary to God's nature and design with man and woman, it just magnifies the destructive and detrimental and harmful effects upon those who practice such. It's not just that it's wrong, gang. It's harmful. It's a destructive lifestyle. 
that causes havoc and hurt physically and emotionally and spiritually. You know, the Family Research Council put forth some statistics in a study that was done of the obituaries of those who were at life practicing homosexuals. I want you to listen to them. The average age of a homosexual man dying of AIDS is 39 years old. You go, oh, well, that's because he has AIDS. Well, listen closer. The average age of homosexual men dying of all causes is 41 years old. What is the average age of typical men? About 75 years old? You're talking about a lifestyle that robs three decades off of people's lives. Statistics of the study showed only 1% of homosexual men in America live to 65 and that homosexual men are three times as likely to have drug and alcohol and abuse and depression problems. It's a destructive lifestyle. I understand, it's evident that there's a very aggressive homosexual agenda in our culture today, which is sadly permeating every sector of society through media and school systems, and there are activists with a strong agenda to advance homosexuality very, very aggressively. But the Bible is very clear, and though they are demanding now not only acceptance and tolerance, but saying, no, you must also approve it as well, which is the transfer of where we're heading now. Despite the push, the Bible is clear regarding God's perspectives, and as Christians, we must lovingly, but yet very firmly and honestly uphold the truth without fear and reservation. Homosexual desire, I understand, is a legitimate struggle for some people. I understand that. I understand that some people actually have a tendency towards it. Just like some people I meet in council have a tendency towards substance abuse or a tendency towards cheating or stealing. Or I understand it's a legitimate struggle just like the list below in our text of the other 23 sins that are mentioned there as Paul is driving home a point of the depravity of the human heart. But it is something that must be acknowledged for what it is. It is sin. And it's something that must be recognized for that. And it's something that has a need of repentance, if practiced. It's something that has a need of resistance, if it's a temptation, to just not engage that temptation and identify it as wrong. And Jesus has forgiveness for this error and deliverance for this struggle as he does for every other sin. And we need to hold out that hope and truth to people to show them that God loves the homosexual. And that God has compassion for them and concern for them. And, and he wants them to come to Jesus and be set free. It's a sad thing when homosexuals don't feel comfortable in a church. I hope other sinful people feel comfortable in a church to an extent that they feel at least loved and welcomed and that we want to help you. We're going to tell you the truth, yes. But we have compassion for your struggle. We want to see you get off your drug addiction. We want to see you get out of your pornographic struggle. We want to see you get out of this struggle. That, but, but there's compassion and there's help. And we must find the balance of being compassionate for the struggle, but clear regarding what God's word says without compromise. Look at me, verse 28. Paul goes on to say, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, again, the emphasis here, God gave them over to a debased, the idea is a polluted, a darkened mind to do those things which are not fitting. Again, almost a reiteration of what we've studied before here for emphasis, that because man had an innate knowledge of God's existence, but he ignored it, he denied it. He suppressed it in his mind, disregarding God. God gave them over consequentially to a darkened perspective, a distorted viewpoint that led to people, it says here, doing things which are not fitting. The idea is inappropriate, unacceptable, and, and improper. And then he begins this lengthy list that we read through together, certainly not exhaustive, but a lengthy list of 23 sins or violations against God and his word that just reveal picturesquely the depravity of humanity as a whole. How we all, in a sense, he says, notice, being filled with all unrighteousness, that is all forms of unrighteous and sinful behavior. He says, sexual immorality, which we've talked about in various forms, wickedness, covetousness, which is literally a term of greed. The language indicates an itch to always need to have a little more. He speaks here of maliciousness, that is behavior that just desires hurt towards others. 
being full of envy, jealousy to its highest degree, murder, taking the life of another, strife, people who are problem starters. They're always causing contention and always causing issues. Deceit, being dishonest and hypocritical and deceiving others. Evil-mindedness, they are whisperers. Imagine that. Whisperers and backbiters, you know, feeding on people when you're with your friends and they're not around, talking about them, chewing up who they are. Haters of God, violent, proud, arrogant, and self-exalting, self-promoting. Boasters, inventors of evil things. Boy, that fits a lot of things, doesn't it? Can't think of those who've created the pornography industry of how well they don't fit that. Disobedient to parents. Imagine that one. I'm not like these murderers and homosexuals. Do you disobey your parents? From God's perspective, sin is sin. Everyone's equally guilty. Undiscerning, he says, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. Interesting that term unloving there is literally a storge in the Greek. It literally is a term that means without family affection. The idea there is the love between a husband and a wife that grows cold, or the love between a parent and a child, or a child towards their parent, that that begins to become absent in the barbaric and cruelty of human behavior. Clearly, when you look at this list, if you want to be honest with yourself, there's reason for every person in this room to find guilt within themselves. If not, you're guilty because you're dishonest. <laughs> Very dishonest. Verse 32, look what he says. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Notice, there's a sense in the guilty conscience of humanity that we deserve the righteous judgment of God. You see that in our text there? There's a sense in the guilt of humanity as you run through a list that describes the depravity of all the human race. There's that sense we're all on equal ground and a common thread within us that we deserve the righteous judgment of God. That we justly do deserve to be punished. Knowing, it says, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Take notice again of that word, practice such things, deserving God's judgment and death. It's not the temptation of sin, but it's the practice of sin. Listen, if you have temptation towards a particular sin, don't be condemned because of temptation. It is the engaging of that temptation as the practice of that temptation that is then sin. We should have compassion for temptation for sin because we all are tempted towards different things. You can't control temptation. One man said before, you, know, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. And this is the idea. Oh, I have these thoughts. I feel so guilty. I have these desires to do what's wrong and distorted. And Listen, welcome to reality. So do I. So does everybody. But it's what we do with them. We need to resist them rather than practice them and engage them. That engaging and practice of these things is what results in sin and the guilt of condemnation from God. Yet notice also one other warning tied to our text here. There's a warning tied into this that God's displeasure is not only against those who practice such things in that list, but also those who what? Approve those things by others who are practicing them. That word approve means to find pleasure and enjoyment by observing others doing such things, though you may not be yourself. It's a word that indicates giving endorsement or consent to such things as actually being acceptable in some way. It's reminding us here that from God's viewpoint, listen, approving sin and sinful practices is just as wrong and guilty as practicing the very thing yourself. Because God knows the harm of it. An example, compromising biblical standards, making concessions, becoming watered down and liberal in what the scripture clearly says because of fear of culture or we want to have unity in some greater way. Listen, one man said this, it's better to be divided by truth than united in error. And we need to be careful of giving approval in ways that are making us guilty. And, and listen as well, we say what? We say we disagree with that list. We look at that list and we, whether it's those things in that list, 
whether it's homosexuality. I, oh, man, that, I can't believe people. I would never commit adultery. I would, I would never murder someone. But it's amazing how we watch TV and movies and contribute our dollars and all to do what? To approve of someone else doing it. And we find pleasure and enjoyment and entertainment watching other people do the things that we say we would never do. And in some way, we're, we're giving endorsement to it. And I just say this because I think God's giving us a warning here. We need to be careful in this area as believers of the subtle effort of the devil to desensitize us in our convictions as we allow ourselves through media and other things, we can soon begin to dishonor the Lord. Hey, good question to ask yourself this morning. Have you become guilty of approving or endorsing or enabling others in their sinful practices? We need to be careful of that as Christians. And we, we need to realize it's vital to acknowledge sin for what it is. Because if we acknowledge sin for what it is, then, and only then, is there opportunity to repent then there's opportunity to be forgiven of that. And then there's opportunity to say, no, listen, you're not, you're not you know, caged into that lifestyle. You can be set free. You're not just always going to have to be like that. You can be set free from your drug addiction. You can be set free from your pornographic addiction. You can be set free from you know, your, your uh, adulterous lifestyle or your immoral behavior or your homosexual struggle. You can be set free because it's sin. It's not a disease. It's not something that you were born that way. You can be set free because it's sin and Jesus Christ sets sinners free. That's the news that we have to communicate to people. Paul says this, writing to the Corinthians where he was at the time of this letter, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, or thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Please hear that. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Paul runs off this list and he says, people who practice these lifestyles, don't be deceived. They don't care what they say. They're not going to enter the kingdom. And then Paul says this, and such were some of you in the Corinthian church. What was he saying? There were people in the church in Corinth that used to be adulterers that repented and were forgiven and were set free by Jesus Christ and they never went back to it again. There were people in the church of Corinth that were practicing homosexuals that repented and were forgiven and washed and set free and they never went back to it again. There were people who were drunkards in the congregation of Corinth that repented and were forgiven and were set free and they never went back to it again. Paul says, such were some of you. Listen, gang, that is the hope that we have to hold out to people. And let me say this in conclusion. Has God been speaking to you this morning or throughout your week or month recently in regards to guilt to any one of the things in this list here that we're looking at? And if he has, can I just encourage you, repent and receive the forgiveness of Jesus and the refreshing of him liberating you by his power from what you might never be able to set yourself free from in your own effort.